Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Big Blue Nation. Kentucky fans everywhere. I hope everybody's doing good. Welcome to another episode of Cats Talk. Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. Appreciate everybody giving us a year. As always, we got a ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown will be along shortly as well. Be taking calls, tweets, the whole nine. Uh, let's go ahead and get the information out where y'all can get a hold of us. Eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three is the number where you guys can reach us. Uh, at Cats Talk Wednesday on Twitter, Cats Talk W E D. Facebook page, Cats Talk. Check that out. Uh, you can tweet us personally at Vinny Hardy or at T Brown underscore eighty for myself. And Terry, Kentucky Hot Brown on Twitter. TV joins us from the Ville, Louisville, Kentucky. How we doing tonight, my man? I'm doing outstanding. How you doing, Vinny? Can't complain. Can't complain, sir. We got so much fun stuff to talk about. Uh, UK related, like we always do. We recap. We look forward. We preview. We do all of those things. Uh, we touch on our NFL, NBA teams, and all of that. We got two great guests as well. In addition to our UK talk, we're going to have Mr. Sam Rizzo. He covers the Sacramento Kings for Bleacher Report. Uh, he will be on with us at 7.30. Uh, our second guest will be Ron Glover. He's the editor-in-chief of the Starting5.net. He's from the Philly area. He'll be talking with us with Eagle Sixers, stuff like that. Uh, at 7.45. Uh, so, got a lot to look forward to. If you want to call, once again, the number is 845-277-9373. Press 1. That puts you in the queue. Let TV uh, and I know that you want to talk to us. Um, got the football game there against Louisville TV. Uh, basketball game against Providence. Got Texas coming to Rupp Friday. A bunch of stuff, UK, as always, that we can dive into and throw our thoughts out on. Definitely. You know, this time of year we got a lot of stuff going on, but I think, you know, it would be a good place to kind of start with the with the football game, uh, the Governor's Cup being moved uh, to the end of the year versus being either the first game or, you know, kind of early on in the season. Uh, it was a good game. It was a very good game. Would have been better had the, the Cats been victorious, but it was a very entertaining uh, game, and I think fans of both sides kind of got to see what they what they wanted to see. Uh, I think so. And you and I both wrote articles you know, kind of echoing those sentiments on WildcatBlueNation.com. Uh, yours, Kentucky football, Governor's Cup rivalry, I wrote one, uh, Kentucky football, playing Louisville last wasn't so bad. Um, we kind of had to wait and see how it would go because, like you mentioned, and both of us put in our articles, they had never played at the end of the season before. Uh, it was always early, uh, sometimes the first game of the season. Every now and then it would be the third game, something like that, depending on where it was at. Um, but – I think we both kind of agreed that it was it was cool seeing the Kentucky in-state rivalry 
on the final Saturday of the regular season. Uh, we all know the, the rivalries across the country that take place. I think that the Iron Bowl has a seat all to itself. You know, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Florida State, you mentioned in your piece. This year, Mississippi kind of uh, jumped up and rose and elevated itself a little bit, but uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss, both of them suffered a few losses towards the end, but Mississippi as a whole has to be proud of what their state was able to accomplish. Accomplish uh, The Egg Bowl came on after Kentucky and Louisville and before Auburn and Alabama. You go out west, you have Oregon and Oregon State in the Civil War, and they played a week before. It wasn't this past weekend, but UCLA and USC always do their little rivalry towards the end of the season as well. So it's always cool playing Tennessee like we've always seen for years, but it was nice seeing Kentucky and Louisville. Uh, and I, I was totally cool with it. Like the game, uh, it, it stung being a Kentucky fan and seeing them come up just a tad short. Um, but I like the fact that Kentucky fought the whole game. They battled because that was something that we hadn't seen in the couple games leading up to the bye, uh, where they were out of gas or just overmatched, a combination of all of that. They came out and took it to Louisville. Uh, even when Louisville responded, Kentucky was able to respond, and it was back and forth for 60 minutes. I, I've talked to some Louisville fans, and, and I kind of put in my piece, uh, if you were to strip off the Kentucky and Louisville jerseys and you make this Auburn, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, one of these names kind of rivalries, you know, ESPN talking heads are talking about this for a long time. You've got a third-string quarterback that comes in for Louisville, throws for 381 yards. You've got a much-maligned Kentucky defense that rises to the occasion, causes some turnovers, gets you know, uh, uh, picks up a couple of scores on its own. You've got an All-American candidate wide receiver uh, for the Cardinals uh, to come in and, and actually deliver in a, in a big game. Uh, you've got the gutty freshman, Boone Williams, who kind of kicked off this great Wildcat season, uh, you know, with that run in overtime uh, against Florida, uh, which – kind of should have been the game-winning run, but, you know, I won't bring that up. But he has a, a couple of good runs in the Louisville game, and the one where he gets he gets met, you know, at the five-yard line, and he just keeps his legs churning. And and bodies are flying, and he's just chugging. And he's just chugging. And, and that's one of those things had Kentucky won, man, what, it, what an image of, of that. So, uh, it was back and forth. Uh, both defensive made plays. Both offenses uh, made plays. Uh, you know, for any other uh, teams, you know, I think that goes to one of those instant classics. It was just a great, entertaining game, which has really been unusual in this series. You know, no matter who's won, the game has been, you know, kind of sloppy and, you know, uh, you know, when the when the cats lose, it's kind of a uh, you know, it's it's a blowout the other way. It's a blowout for the Cardinals. So there's not really that high drama moving to the fourth quarter. Uh, I mean, I think you have to go back to you know when Stevie got loose and, and some other games uh, for that. Uh, but this was everything you could hope for 
to uh, to really welcome the Governor's Cup rivalry to the rivalry weekend. Uh, as, as Stoops continues to improve the Kentucky program and Petrino is back, and, you know, as we all hope, Kentucky makes more noise in the SEC and Louisville continues to scratch and claw. I mean, this could really become uh, a big a big time matchup that people outside of the Commonwealth want to see. And I think that's what we all kind of are looking for. Um, you know, right now with all sports, both schools are really pushing ahead. Uh, and if we can get the football matchup to – I don't think it'll ever eclipse basketball, but if we can get that up there, man, that that's gonna be pretty that's gonna be pretty good to see. No doubt, man. I agree a hundred percent. And in the game Saturday, um there were things that went Kentucky's way that, you know, in our history of Kentucky fans things those things normally go against Kentucky. Uh Kentucky was in the red zone Patrick Toll threw a pass that should have been a pick six. Uh, the Louisville DB mm-hmm. broke on it and deflected it and, and missed, and the ricochet went to the Kentucky player. You know, Kentucky was able to get the catch. I think that was set up for a field goal. But in years past, we've seen, you know, the opposing team going the other way. Wow, that's a break that went Kentucky's way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the run you mentioned by Boone Williams, that has happened to Kentucky in the past. We, were, I mean, Josh Robinson, for Mississippi State, you know, broke 50-11 tackles earlier in the season. A couple of years ago, the kid for Vanderbilt, I think it was Zach Stacey, who was in the NFL now, I mean, just carried the whole team into the end zone. Here you have Boone Williams. You know, you mentioned the run at Florida, and you know the athletes they have down there. Uh, and then the same thing against uh, Louisville, who's got one of the best defenses in the country. And he, you know, put every one of those guys on his back. And was not going to be denied going into the end zone. So there were some things that, you know, don't normally go our way that broke our way. And it still came up short at the end, uh, which was, you know, we hate to see that. But like you said, it's, it's, um, it shapes up nice in the years to come. The game next year at Commonwealth Stadium is going to be bananas. Uh, we'll be looking forward to it again, just like we were this year. Uh, got the stadium that'll be renovated. And Kentucky will have another uh, recruiting class under Mark Stoops to continue to build that depth and get bigger and stronger, like he emphasizes uh, that needs to take place. So, I mean, I agree with you, man. It's 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 going to go forward and, and continue to build, you know, on the gridiron. Yeah, and I, and I think the 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 biggest difference is, you know, after the last interception. Uh, you know, and, and and Louisville got the ball with time running out. Uh, Petrino did not draw up a home run play to try to score. You know, in the past, he, he loves running up the score against Kentucky because I think he understands where Kentucky as a program is heading. And I don't think he wants to return to Lexington next year with an improved Kentucky team, uh, you know, and running up the score. So I think that's a sick a sign of, of, of success as well. Uh, and what it boiled down to, Louisville had Devontae Parker, and we did not. We don't quite have that that breakout. St- I mean, I mean honestly, I mean when you've got uh, a breakout guy like that, who you know even when he's 
covered is open. I think that changes a lot of things uh, that you can do with your offense. So if, if Kentucky can develop or, or bring in that, that dynamic athlete, you know, that speedster, now we're not taking anything away from Boone Williams and, and some of the other guys we have, but if you can get like a Damien Harris that can that can bounce something to the outside, I think that, that kind of opens the playbook a little bit. And, uh, I mean, they played well. Um, you know, coming off the bye week, because, uh, you know, the depth is kind of an issue, uh, you know, for them. Uh, I, I'm just excited. Uh, I think if that's got to be the lasting memory of this 2014 season, I, I don't think those guys have anything to, to hang their heads about, because for most of the Louisville fans leading up to that game, I mean, we were going to be lucky to even, you know, why were we even on the field with Cardinals? I mean, it was, you know, here are the 85 Bears, you know, you know, for Louisville, and we're just a ragtag group of misfits. I, I think uh, the Cats really held their uh, own, and I don't think that if a Louisville fan was being honest, they can say that they really felt comfortable, you know, winning that game until that last interception. I mean, it was that kind of game. Yeah, yeah. And going back to Devontae Parker is – is Amari Cooper at Alabama the only receiver in the country that's better than him? Is there? I know West Virginia's got a good one, but is is Amari the only one that you would maybe pick ahead of Devontae? Yeah, I I, I would say just uh, for like I said, if you've got a guy, especially on the college level, that is open when he is covered, I mean that I mean that's a that's a safety blanket for your quarterback that really changes the dynamic. Uh, I mean, when you look at some of the successful uh, Kentucky offenses, there's that guy that garners that respect. And if you're going to be able to do some other things offensively, you need a guy on the outside that's really going to, you know, make the defense think about what they're doing. You look at Kentucky versus uh, South Carolina, that game changed when, when Timmons kind of opens that game up with a big catch. You know, Tolls is going deep. Well, now you got to, you know, JoJo Kemp and the Wildcat, you got to contend with that. So I think UK just needs a guy on the outside that could become that big play guy. Maybe, you know, not on that level, uh, but you need a guy out there that can really stretch the field horizontally and, uh, you know, make defenses think about what they're doing, not be able to stack the the box. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, you're listening to uh, Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Bradley Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com, 845-677-9373 is the number if you want to give us a call. Tweet us at Cats Talk Wednesday at Vinny Hardy at T. Brown underscore 80. Or check the Cats Talk Facebook page in your any of those, you know, means you want to use to get in touch with us, feel free to do so. To, uh, I mean, to, at the beginning of the game, I mean, things things were tippy. Uh, you know, there was a little dust-ups before the game started. Uh, you know, Katrino in there making peace, and then he's ready to fight. And, you know, it was, it was back and forth. Both teams were ready to play. Emotions were high. And sure, you don't want to see things get crazy. But the edge that Kentucky brought 
with them to Louisville. I mean, Coach Stoops mentioned that they needed to have an edge to be ready to play. They had that. They they brought it, and it carried over into the beginning of the game. You know, Kentucky was taking it to Louisville, um, you know, from the jump. You know, defensively, they were getting three and outs all over the place. Uh, they were getting sacks. They were getting pressure on Reggie Bonifant. Um, the momentum was there on their side. And to me, you know, we talked about some things that don't normally happen, you know, to Kentucky. To me, this kind of is like, wow, you got to be kidding. This can only happen to Kentucky. Because, you know, Reggie Bonifant comes in for Will Gardner, you know, you know who got hurt for Louisville, the number one guy. Bonifant's the second stringer. Goes to Notre Dame and looks good. You know, I didn't, I didn't think Louisville would go to Notre Dame and come back with a win. I know Notre Dame had, you know, Started to struggle there at the end, but I still thought they would be too much for Louisville up there in South Bend. So then Pontifon is struggling against the Cats. He's, he's, you know, missing. He looks rattled. You know, Louisville's back on their heels. He gets hurt, which you don't want to see, and he's not able to return. And so you got Kyle Bowling coming in, and we're like, I mean, wow, they're, you know, it's really looking bleak for them. And the kid from Lakeview comes in and, and just lights it up, you know. Completes uh, the first pass, throws a touchdown to Parker, takes a shot on that throw. And, I mean, he still, you know, completes that and completes, I don't know, his first seven or eight, however many passes, and is locked in. I mean, he threw some interceptions and, and Kentucky made some plays on him, but to see him come in and play like that and be from Lexington, I'm thinking, like, you got to be kidding me. You know, and the game kind of turned in Lowe's favor when he came in. He kind of sparked their offense and got things going for them. I wonder, I mean, Reggie could have got it going as well, but I wonder because, you know, we kind of had them in the corner on the ropes a little bit, and they were able to, you know, fight their way back get in the game and go ahead 14-13, and then it was kind of back and forth the rest of the way. But if, if Reggie stays in there, you I can't help but wonder how things play out as well. Yeah, it, it, I mean, there's just so many layers uh, to this game, uh, just with, uh, with just all the kind of freaky, you know, the injuries and, and, and things like that. Uh, I was feeling good uh, the first couple of three-and-out series, defense playing well, offense was moving the ball fairly well. But in my mind, with all those opportunities, you, you've got to not just get field goals. You have to get touchdowns. I That's think true. had had the Cats been able to just get one of those field goals a touchdown and you really got a, you know, a, a sizable lead, I think you put you, you give uh, the quarterback a lot more to think about. You give Bowen a little bit more. Is he pushing? You, I think you alter the call play. Uh, that Louisville has to do. And you can really let Darius Smith and Bud Dupree and those guys, you can really let them loose a little bit more than you would have. I mean, I know they were they were pressuring for most of the game anyway, but I think had they been able to stretch out that lead, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that's a different, that's a different game. Uh, but I understand Louisville's got a tough defense and all that, but it's just if one of those becomes a touchdown – I think you've got a different, you know, I'm not saying they would have won the game, but I think it might have been looking a little bit different had they been able to do that. Yeah, that's for sure. 
um, had some points kind of laying left there, you know, at the doorsteps. Um, another, you know, could at least been maybe seventeen to nothing instead of the instead of the thirteen, or you know, anything like you said would have tightened the screws on Louisville even more because. I mean, some of the players even mentioned with, with Kentucky coming at them and being so fired up in the pregame, that kind of caught them off guard a little bit. So they were they were on the heel on their heels at the kickoff, and then Kentucky plays well to boot. A few more points on the board, like you said, would have you know got guys pressing, guys tight, and you never know. Like you said, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, but you, you, I'm definitely liking the effort, the fight that they brought. I wrote. The piece before my last piece, you know, it was good to see that fight back um, in, in Kentucky, you know, bringing that edge, coming ready to play for four quarters. That was definitely a good thing to see. Yeah, uh, but it goes, I think it kind of goes back to the box analogy. analogy. If you're going to, you know, go on the road in a rivalry game and a game that few people are expecting you to win, uh, I think that um, you have to deliver that knockout punch. And I think the Cats were jabbing, you know, with the offensive field goals. I think they were jabbing with the defense. But you've got to deliver. I mean, they had a chance to really hush the crowd and, and really, you know, get on the let's shock the world kind of train. I mean, it turned into a slugfest. But like I said, uh, a play here or there really would have made uh, a big difference. Absolutely. And just to echo the point one more time before we kind of transition, um, you talked about how it was fun watching this game, you know, be played last um, and how great it is going forward. In my piece, um, I, I used the tweet from Cecil Hurt, who covers Alabama for the Tuscaloosa News. Alabama for that newspaper since 1982. He tweeted out during the Kentucky Louisville game that, you know, there there might be some better games on, possibly, or maybe two better teams are playing. But, you know, he said his money was on Kentucky and Louisville. He was watching that game. He said, you know, the way it's going now, somebody might get hit with a chair. Because, you know, everybody everybody saw, you know, the pregame look that up. And, you know, it was intense from the minute both teams were on the field. And for – uh, a seasoned vet uh, in the media to watch as many games as he has, to have seen as many classic Iron Bowls as he's been to in the press box, either at Auburn or at Alabama, to tweet out that he was spending his Saturday afternoon, you know, while waiting for Auburn and Alabama to play at 7.30, he was watching Kentucky and Louisville. I mean, that, to me, I was like, wow, that's that's pretty impressive. This guy has seen some, you know, knockdown drag out, hate-filled SEC football, you know, at his at his best for 30-plus years. I mean, the Iron Bowl was almost unparalleled. I think maybe Ohio State-Michigan back in the day was up there, but, you know, Michigan's kind of falling off. But for him to tweet that, and he was impressed, you know, watching it, because it was intense. And like you said yourself a few minutes ago, if you strip off the jerseys and just watch, you know, the two teams go at it, I mean, it was it was as you know, hard fault as any rivalry game you're going to see. 
Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Uh, I was going to let you allude to to, to Mr. Hurd's tweets. Uh, with it moving toward the end, and you've got all these games, uh, Florida, Florida State, Oregon, Oregon State, you know, USC, Notre Dame, uh, I think a lot of people are saying, how does UK, L fit into that? How do they go out there? And for their first game, it's it was entertaining. It really, really was. So if you can get the Cecil Hurts of the world to kind of say, okay, you know, and I wasn't a fan of it getting as chippy as it did. I, I think it kind of carried over to the game right. a little bit on both sides. Right. Uh, so I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of that. But if you can actually, uh, you know, kind of get that interest, you know, with all the, you know, ESPN 8s and all that kind of stuff, but if you can get eyeballs to tune in and say, hey, Kentucky-Louisville, that's going to be a good football game. You know, it's kind of like how Miami-Florida State was back in the day. I mean, that's that's going to be a good game. You know, Florida-Florida State, that's going to be a, a good game that me in uh, Seattle-Washington, I want to check that out. Or you're getting the focus yeah. in Iowa. And, and that's kind of what you need to do. Uh, I don't think you could have scripted a better game to kind of blend in with the rest of those rivalries. Uh, you know, even the little pushing and shoving beforehand, it made its way on the college game day. Uh, yeah. It, so, so uh, you know, they say no new, you know, no publicity is bad. But, I mean, so it, it, it showed that chippiness that, hey, these two schools in the bluegrass state, it's more than just basketball here. You know, these football right. teams are ready to play, and they delivered a pretty good product. That's right. And um, 845-277-9373 is the number we got to call on the line. I definitely want to get to some Neil Brown uh, before we get to basketball, too, since that still is, you know, sending on a football game that took place. Let's see who is on the line. I think I got an idea. Call your own cat talk. Well, three guesses nope. and your first two don't count. Oh, uh, <laughs> we had a hunch. Saw that five oh two area code, and it is the one and only Michelle. For every big blue on Twitter giving us a call. What's going on? Well, y'all talking about the football game Saturday, and that was just that was just ten kinds of wonderful. I mean, it was a disappointing end, but after what we had gone through for the previous five weeks or so with the Cats kind of having that let down and just not not showing that same fire they had at the beginning of the season, Saturday was, was just a hundred kinds of encouraging. And for fans that can't see that, my heart kind of hurts for them. I, I saw so many tweets Saturday on the same old Kentucky football. And I was like, you know, the same old Kentucky football would not have taken that game down to the last two minutes. Yeah, I mean it, once, it, it, it's Louisville, that simple. Yeah, once Louisville got on track and punched back and took that fourteen thirteen lead, they would have won going away in the past. They would have cruised, you know. In some instances, depending on what version of you know Kentucky we're talking about, you know, they would have cruised on. And then the other thing that got uh, kind of got my feathers Well I hate to say feathers Because that sounds too much like a cardinal Something that got my fur kind of all <laughs> messed up Was uh, a people trying to lay blame For the loss On uh, Toles throwing that interception late in the game He lost the game for us Well 
it was a very ill-timed interception, but you could go back and say that that unsportsmanlike conduct early in the game when we would have had a fourth and seven for Louisville and we yeah. ended up giving them a first down. Yeah. Maybe that yeah. was the game. Or, you know, there, there was a hundred different things that could have been, and I, it just frustrated me to no end that everybody wanted to lay the loss at Tolls' feet when Tolls is also the one that was bombing some touchdown passes and picking up some first downs on the ground when he had to. So, you know, I, I think that the Cats kind of think, I got to, you know, they win as a team, they lose as a team. And at the beginning of the year, if you'd said five and seven, I would have said, I'll take it, run it away, and I'll smile all the way to the bank. We got that. And disappointed, yes, but I'm still very encouraged and very happy and so excited about next year. That's true. That's true. And you, you mentioned the personal fouls. That. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a complainer. I'm telling, just kind of keeping it, calling it like I see it. There's been a few times that that's kind of bit us in the backside. You know, there was one in Florida that we should have got caught on and didn't when we dodged the bullet. There's been a few more throughout the season. I was tweeting with Anthony White. I forget what game it was, but I was, yeah, I was just saying, man, we got to cut these out, these the inopportune personal fouls. And he agreed wholeheartedly that, you know, that the timing of them was just killer at different points throughout the season, and, and none was really worse than that one there we saw Saturday. That was that was a backbreaker. To have to go back on the field when you think you've got to stop, and then, boom, Louisville immediately made them pay. And, yeah. and the personal fouls will get to me a whole lot quicker than an interception or a fumble or, heck, even a, a ill-timed offsides or something because there's no excuse for that. I mean, that, that's that's just... It's it's outside the the bounds of the game, and I get the adrenaline and want to fight and everything. But when the guy's already five yards out of bounds, you don't have to hit him. You're not making any kind of statement except I don't mind giving up a first down and fifteen more yards to you. That's the statement you and, make. And no doubt, everybody wanted to to just lay Cal Bowling out, especially the way he came in playing lights out. But <laughs> you got to do it within the line, and you know he was. Clearly out when it happened. Oh, yeah. And as like I said, the, the mental stuff, that that's the part that's frustrated me more because it's it's there's a thing you can get your brain focused. And and those are lapses that, that this just requires commitment from the players that, that they've got to, to be in the mindset when they take to the field that my mind is focused on this game and that's all that it's focused on. And it sounds nice and easy, but like I said, you know, those that have played in sports, it, it, it does – it's it's work to maintain your focus. But once that uh, whistle has gone off to start the game, then your job is to remain focused until that game is over. That's it, pure and simple. But all that aside, I'm still just tickled pink and as proud as I could be of this team because they've – I feel real bad for, for Bud Dupree because if there was any player that was literally trying to pick up the Wildcats and carry them on his back, he may play – Saturday that were just off the charts ridiculously. NFL quality plays he was making. He didn't want his season over, and, and, and mm-hmm. I think I hurt more for Bud than I hurt for anybody. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, and it's it, it kind of been it's been chronicled you know, throughout the year, you know. Mm-hmm. Never never been able to take a victorious plane ride back, you know, from a, a away game, that kind of thing. And that sixth win was just, you know, forever was elusive, you know. Made attempt after attempt 
weren't able to, to secure it. So, yeah, and, and he laid it on the line, uh, came back for his senior year, and mm-hmm. balled out in his final game in the car. So he, he, wasn't, he didn't mail it in at any point. He, you know, he strapped it on, and, you know, he let it rip every time he stepped on the field. Well, you get three or four more players with his mental mindset, and, and Kentucky is SEC competitive hands down. That That's what we need is this, like I said, just four or five players that, that never say die, and it rubs off on the rest of the team. Definitely, definitely. I, but I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. If you got to go out, you know, at five and seven, that's a way to go out because – you know, this this is something they can build on. Uh, you know, they made some mistakes. They didn't play a great game. But, hey, you're right here against your most hated rival. Uh, you know, ranked in the top 25. You know, a few tweaks here and there. And, and, and Stoops can point to about three or four different games uh, that could have gone the other way. I mean, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Florida, you know, I I think Mississippi State, if you could have made a couple more plays. So there are some things they can look at and say, hey, we can get uh, a seven or eight win team uh, out of of what we're doing. So I think that's a pretty good good deal. And the other thing that comes from that that I think that the the people say, seven or eight, we don't want seven or eight. We want a bit nine or ten. Well, that's fine, but you've got to get to that middle ground because this team has to learn that they can win. And that's what's lacking is they, they don't know that it's possible to win. And I think students we, will point out, you know, you, you just have one play here or one play there, and you've got seven wins, you're in a bowl. So, yes, you can win. Yeah, yeah. They were. If you just look at the Louisville game and the Florida game, both of those games on the road, they lost by a combined ten points. And that, you know, that gets you seven and five right there. And as far as that middle ground, we are old enough to remember not too long ago that Kentucky was consistently there, you know, at 7-5, and five, you know, going to bowl games, winning bowl games. Uh, so, And the, the recruiting wasn't as strong then as it is now, and it's, it's you know, been under stoop, so he's got a past couple classes that he's got. So that's, that's nice to look at going forward as well. Uh, and back then when they were at that middle ground, they were a play here or a play there away from, you know, taking those steps to get to eight or nine. Um, after they beat LSU, they played Florida Tough the next week from the game they was in Lexington. So, you know, I hate to bring it up. I always so, said we were just one four-star player away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the four-overtime game against Tennessee, you hate to bring up that 52-50 game, but, you know, that. That win, if they were to pull that out in one of those overtimes, that would have gotten them to eight wins. So they've been there in that middle ground scratching and calling before. So that's where they're trying to get to again. And then, you know, you see uh, how the pieces fall in place and, and see how it plays out. Well, and I only have one more point, and I'm just going to leave this as a question for you all to uh, to discuss and, and hang up and let you have at it. Uh, a lot of people, uh, and I'm sure you saw that on Twitter Saturday where everybody was saying, fire Neil Brown, fire Neil Brown, because they didn't like this play calling, um, which I'm not on that bandwagon, but, but he's gone in any uh, in any case. But 
what I'm interested in is what your thoughts are on how you think this may impact our recruiting because Neil Brown was very instrumental in bringing a lot of those higher-quality players in. So uh, what do you think his departure will mean for the Cats? And you all have a great night, and I'm going to sit back and listen to your answers. All right. Thank you, Michelle. I'll have talk to you all later. All righty. All righty. TB? Well, I, I saw a lot of that anti-Neil Brown nonsense, and, and I think that's just part of the human reaction. Somebody's got to be a scapegoat. Somebody's got to be held responsible for a team losing or something like that. You know, it's not just, hey, we lost to a better team. There's got to be a reason for it. Uh, as as if Neil Brown and, and, and Mark Stoops are sitting, uh, you know, game playing for the week, you know, how can we call – crazy plays that will lose us the game. You know, I'm going to defer to those guys that uh, they know more football than I do. They know what they're trying to do more than I do. Were there some plays that, you know, maybe, hey, I would have scratched my head about doing? Yeah, but it's like that during any game, basketball, football, whatever. But I, I think sometimes people kind of get into this, I call it the curse of, of Madden, where you think, you know, Madden, you can sit back there, you can drop backs and five people wide every time out, and you can air that ball out. Well, you know, Madden, as realistic as it is, is not real life. That's not how real life works. And the best play callers, you 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 call one play that may be a two- or three-yard gain to set up another play, which may be – you know, a twenty yard pass. So there's a there's a a rhyme or a reason for the way the plays are called and I don't know if there's a lot of kind of lay people that are savvy enough to pick up on that. So that's why I'm not on the Neil Brown bash and bandwagon because we were in a position to win with the offense that he was running. I mean yes the defense made some plays but the offense made some plays, too, that the offense had not made in almost a month worth of games. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of loyal. You, you dance with the, the, the date that brought you, and, and, and Neil, Neil Young, Neil Brown got us to, to that point. So I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon and say, hey, he was the reason we lost. No, I'm going to say he was the reason we won. You know, you, you can't uh, congratulate – uh, Boom Williams on his run and not say, hey, that was a design play that, that Neil Brown kind of set up so he could do that, to put him in a position to do that. So he, in an effort to find a scapegoat, you got to blame somebody, so why not blame, uh, you know, the offense, I, I guess. That's my that's my thing. Right, right. And as far as Michelle's question about, you know, the recruiting uh, – in the aftermath of Neil, you know, getting hired by Troy, Quentin Baker, running back, committed in the 2016 class. He did decommit. He put on Twitter that he committed to Kentucky too early. Uh, nothing against UK, uh, but he needs to keep his options open. And, you know, to me, that's probably – that's just him probably wanting to step back and see who they get, who the next, you know, offensive coordinator is. Um and, you know, and that might be just a reaction from 
the news of Neil Brown leaving. Michelle mentioned, you know, the influence that he did have on uh, recruiting, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, this doesn't mean that you might not end up back at Kentucky. You know, he's a 2016 commit, uh, but he opened things back up, and this was kind of in the wake of Neil Brown you know, leaving for Troy. Such is one instance, you know, as far as, you know, answering her question on that note. Um, but, you know, everybody is kind of waiting to see, you know, which way Mark Stoops will go. Will he bring in another air raid type guy? Uh, or will the offense take a different direction? No doubt, you know, we talked about Damian Harris. You mentioned him earlier as far as being another playmaker in the offense. No doubt he's probably, uh, you know, sitting back seeing, you know, what the next move will be at offensive coordinator as well. So, yeah, it, it'll – It'll be a domino effect, or it'll have you know kids' attention, um, and, you know, until you know he fills that position, and we'll see who he brings in. As far as Neil, you know, you know like you said, there's always things that uh, make you scratch your head and things like that, and that's always going to be the case. Um, and I, I was just surprised when you heard the news throughout the season. I was just you know wondering how. Uh, I'm like, you know, is he, how 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 are the negotiations with Troy going? My question. Uh, but we all knew he had been there before. They had won there before. He was familiar with it. I think he got a lot of it, you know, ironed out during the bye week. So, no doubt he had to focus on that. And he was excited to have the opportunity at 34 years old to be a head coach. But as far as this, you know, maybe taking him away from being a coordinator, it wouldn't really be as much as people thought or even I thought at the time. Well, and it's always, you know, I understand, you know, coordinators and stuff, there's a there's a small window when they need to, to interview and, and move up to different, uh, you know, positions. I wish there was more of a, a signing period. Uh, there's a time – where you know you can't make contact till after the season, but I know that won't uh, work. Uh, again, I don't think it was a huge distraction uh, because I think that, uh, from what I can tell, you know he was up front at least with the staff about it. I mean, not so much with the media, but I don't think this caught Stoops by surprise uh, that Neil Brown was looking because we've seen instances where coaches are leaving, and you can tell their mind is not on what they need to do. Uh, I don't think that was the case. I'm not sure that's why we lost the game. We lost the game because Louisville's got better players right now. The gap is getting smaller, but they've got better players right now than we do. So uh, I, I'm not sure what more he needs to do to, or needed to do to, to kind of put that to rest because I don't buy into that at all, that that was a, a distraction. Yeah, and once once he kind of come out and, you know, he said it, you know, he, you talk to him during the bye week, everything's transparent, you know. Uh, they let you know that it wasn't a distraction. We've seen it be distracting before, like you said, and there's times where, you know, when a team is going to a bowl game, that coach will go ahead and, you know, move on at the end of the regular season. But with him, with him being hired, like, you know, the news came out right after the game was over, you know, it, that was, I was like, wow, that was just it happened so fast. So you knew things were in the works, but yet it wasn't in the works to the point of, 
of him being sidetracked. He was able to kind of keep it all compartmentalized, so to speak. Yeah, and and, and that's the thing. Uh, I think people say, oh, this is a huge distraction. Well, these these coaches aren't robots. I mean, they're still people with families and, and everything they do. So there's always going to be distractions. I mean, I go to work every day, and I'm sometimes thinking about, what my kids got going on or, or whatnot. There's, sto- there's stuff we don't know. So to say that that was a huge distraction, I, I just I don't think that's fair. Right, right. And, you know, with the situation he's going back to, he, you know, he's been there before, part of the staff just recently won there, had success there before he went to Texas Tech. You know, Troy's been – you know, having success for several years. Uh, my fellow former Dallas Cowboy, Demarcus Ware, you know, played ball at Troy. They've given, you know, big-time teams fits, uh, and they've, you know, worked their way up to being Division One. Uh, he can go there and keep things rolling and, you know, possibly use that as a stepping stone, stone to a, a bigger job, you know. And we, of course, definitely wish him the best as he makes that move. Uh, heading back down to Troy, Alabama. Yeah, you you definitely want to uh, you know wish wish somebody well, and uh, you know the time comes where they can move on and better themselves and better their life situation. I, I support that kind of thing. Like so I said, mm-hmm. that, that's why I said it's not. Um, it, I just don't think it was a big distraction to some of those Kentucky fans are, are trying to make it out to be. And it's, you know, somebody wanting a coach from here, wanting wanting a member of the U.K. staff. So that, that means that, you know, they are impressing or you know, getting attention of other schools for them to, you know, they have suitors from other teams wanting members of this staff. So that's, that's good to see as well. And it's going to happen, you know, as long as they continue to be successful there'll be members of the staff leave if they have opportunities, like you said, to better themselves. Uh, that'll be a good reflection on Stoops and his staff. You hate to see any of them go, you know, wish that the whole staff could just stay intact and just keep it rolling. But it's part of the game. And, I mean, you know, if coaches, guys, assistants have aspirations to be a head coach, they got to look at the best opportunities that come along. And this was a good one, and it fit, you know, for Neil Brown and his situation. Yeah, and I think it's a good sign that a program wants your coaches. It's like anything else. Uh, You understand that these guys are are together only for a short time, you know, the players and the coaches. So that's what really makes, uh, you know, college sports uh, unique is that you only kind of get one shot, you know, as a unit before people move on. I mean, that's just the the way uh, that it is. Yep, it sure is. So yeah, we definitely wish Neil the best, and it was cool to just kind of recap the whole year in football. It's 12 games came and went really quick. So we're looking forward to, you know, the spring game next year, uh, the renovated Commonwealth Stadium, and, you know, it'll be fall 2015 before we know it, and we'll be excited to see the strides of the football team you know, makes next season in year three of the Mark Stoops. You listen to Cats Talk 
for Jerry and Vinny on the Bradley Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. 845-277-9373 is the number. It just kind of puts a bow on the U.K. football season. Basketball's in full swing now, and they just got their most recent win against Ed Cooley and the Providence Friars there at Rupp Arena TV by a 58-38 margin. And Ed Cooley said that if you told me they would score 58, I would be absolutely 100% sure that we would be leaving with a win. And Providence wasn't even able to score a point a minute as they lost 58-38. Well, and, and uh, again, I've been talking about this for uh, for a while. There's lineup flexibility. I mean, uh, I, uh, Jay Billis tweeted out after the game, Providence did what they wanted to do. They slowed Kentucky down. They made it a very slow, methodical game, and they still lost by 20 points. That, and, and that's the thing is Kansas tried to run, you know, they lose. Uh, and then you look at Providence did what they wanted to do. Uh, I think the Boston University game kind of gave folks a blueprint on how to be successful, but – uh, you know, and I'm not quite on the undefeated uh, bandwagon just yet, but it's going to take a lot of factors for Kentucky to lose. Uh, I know that they're going to hit that, you know, the stretch of games between now and the end of the year where they're going to be playing some, some top-level teams, and I think the games will be closer. But just from what I've seen, I mean, I mean these guys, they're confident. Uh, as Mike Pratt touched on uh, b- before when he was on, you know, the, the freshmen, uh, Booker and Ulis and and, um, and Lyle, they can just play. They don't have the burden of being the main guy. They can just play. You know, we're looking at, you know, Poitras and Willie Cauley-Stein and the Harrisons to kind of be the backbone right now, uh, you know, with Lee and Dakari Johnson. Uh, so the freshmen, they can just play – kind of not loose, but they don't have that pressure that previous classes have had. And, you know, your guy, Euless, the little guy, he's a game changer. I mean, he he can put pressure on defensively and offensively because the simple fact was, you know, during the Providence game, he was bringing the ball quickly in the front court, kind of, you know, forcing Providence to, to, to do some things defensively they didn't want to do. And I think that's one of those things that doesn't show up in the box score, but as a, a coach will tell you, hey, you know, just that change of pace is enough to put us in a position to win. So, uh, you know, there will be some more tests for the team to pass, but, I mean, right now, uh, being a, a Wildcat fan, it, it, it feels good. You know, I've watched a lot of other games here, uh, you know, holiday weekend and this week, and I haven't really seen a team where I would say, okay, you know, we we would probably lose to them. You know, I'm, I'm not saying they're going defeated, but it's going to take some effort to beat them. Yeah, and I, I want to jump on a couple of those other games too. Like you know, last night, uh, Louisville, Ohio State. I jump on that in a minute. And of course, you got Duke and Wisconsin tonight. Um, but like you said about Ulysses, um, he forced a five second violation. Did he get two five second violations? I know he forced one on their point guard right there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then, you know, which you expect that from him, or, you know, maybe not expect it, but you're not surprised to see him force a five-second violation on an opposing point guard because he's tenacious, he gets up in you, he crowds you, he's small, he's quick, that low center of gravity, it's hard to shake him. So that's, you know, that's like, yeah, that's that's just, that's kind of his M.O., so to speak, to be, to dog you on the defensive end. But when he closes out on a three-point shooter and gets the block, that's the one where you're like, man, when you, you mentioned him being a game changer, he got the block and then went down and hit the one-hand push shot in the same, you know, sequence. And really, are you kidding me? You know, the smallest guy on the court, you know, like you said, he had his hands and stamp all over that game against Providence. And what got me, I don't know, I don't know if it's a pet peeve, I don't know if it's soapbox worthy or not. Um, I know you and Michelle do the soapbox thing. I haven't really jumped on there yet. But at halftime, it's 26-22 Kentucky. And you got the commentators, because Providence did slow things down and, and you know, play the first 20 minutes just the way they wanted to, to keep themselves in the game. You got, you know, the guys in the studio, oh, dude, upset alert, upset alert. Now, you know, and this is what Kentucky's still up for. You know, so when you, you, can, you can holler upset alert, but Kentucky's still leading at halftime, even though it's a small margin. You know, normally you hear that when a team is ranked high and maybe they're down seven at the half or, you know, they're getting really punched in the mouth. <laughs> Purdue was punching them in the mouth. Purdue. Providence did what they wanted to do, quote, unquote, punched them in the mouth, if you will, and we're still down four at the half. So, I mean, upset alert was kind of, yeah, that was a little shaky to even say that, but, you know. And then, of course, we saw what happened in the second half. So, I don't know. That, might, that was a little pet for you. I was like, upset alert. This is up four. And, of course, you know, Providence wasn't able to sustain that. And if they had it, would they still, you know, end up losing just by not 20? You know, if they played the second half exactly the way they wanted to, they still may have come up short because they did in the first half. They tried their best to prevent Kentucky from just overwhelming them. They tried to – to, uh, I don't know, you know, you got to put your uh, a hand over the water hole, try to keep the water out. But eventually the water squirts out and, you know, you take your hand off the spigot or whatever. Kentucky eventually broke free and, you know, they hit him with a bunch of runs and flurries and, you know, boom, bang, bing, there you know that the game's out of hand. It, and, and that's the thing that, I think a lot of these the folks talking, you know, undefeated and, and that kind of thing is, you know, I noticed this during the Kansas game. You know, we talked to Mike about this as well. You know, usually, you know, that first TV timeout, second TV timeout, when your second team comes in, there's a little bit, you know, even if you've got a quality team, there's generally a little bit of a, you know, the oppo- uh, opponent can take a breath. You know, when you know when the Harrisons come out, you know, like last year they came out, and, oh, you know, you had kind of, you know, had freshman Dominique Hawkins and, and Polson, who solid player. But, you know, going from freshman Dominique Hawkins and uh, Jared Polson in the backcourt, now you bring in Ulysses and Booker. I mean, that's, that's a starting backcourt. So there's really no letdown. I think that, you know, playing Texas, playing these other teams, even playing Louisville, I think the games will be close at the half. 
But the question is, can these teams sustain it against Kentucky for 40 minutes? You know, Harold right. is a fine player for U of L, but if he's got to bang Collie Stein, he's got to bang Towns, he's got to bang Lee, he's got to bang uh, uh, Dakari uh, Johnson. Wow, I mean that's that's the thing. And and now, uh, you know, I'm looking ahead a little bit. You know, Louisville pressure and Ulysses is he's a one man press breaker. He's so low to the ground, you're not going to turn him over. He can get through creases. I'm excited about that game because, as we've said before, Ulysses has given Kentucky that dimension that they haven't had, the small, low-to-the-ground, quick guard. And, oh, yeah, the Harrisons are still here too. And I'm watching them play, and I don't even think they've kicked it in yet. I think that they're both <laughs> waiting for a game where they can put their stamp on it. I mean, that's just my opinion. Uh you know, I'm not saying that they're coasting or anything like that, but I think they're playing with confidence of knowing, hey, we get this team rolling, we know what we can do. You know, and, and I think it's that confidence these players have. Uh, they're cheering for each other. I mean, it's a great environment, and it's going to take a great game to be. You're not going to beat Kentucky playing your B or C game. That won't happen. If you're not hitting your shots, not hitting your free throw, you're going to have to play a pretty complete game to beat them. I mean, that's just that's just my personal opinion. I'm looking at the teams across the country, teams on our schedule, and every other team has some flaws that fall right into the cats. I don't think Louisville has the size. You know, there's there's just others. You know, you look at all these other teams, uh, and it, it's really depth. And, and these guys are confident in what they're doing. They they have bought into what Coach Cal is selling, or they wouldn't even be here. You know? Uh, people talk about yeah. Cal, Cal not being a good X and O's coach uh, as if that's the only thing that goes into coaching. I tweeted this yesterday, and a lot of folks kind of you know went back and forth. To be a good coach, you've got to get people to buy into what you're selling. Uh, you look at Phil Jackson. The Bulls didn't win until he got Michael Jackson. Or Michael Jackson. Man, we are on it tonight. <laughs> we are all over the place tonight. But, but the Purdue, the he Purdue, didn't get the Bulls. I was talking about the Purdue Friars, so, yeah, you know. Yeah, it, it's all right. And I was on uh, Neil Young. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, Phil Jackson, you know, the Bulls won because he got Michael Jordan to, to buy into his system. That's a part of coaching. Uh, you know, there's just so much more to it, as if Cal's X's and O's aren't near the top anyway. Uh, I, mean, I, I just think that when you look at what happens, close games at the half, and the second half, they've taken all the drama out of all these games. I mean, you know, Kansas, within the first five minutes, no doubt in my mind the Cats are going to win. You know, the first four or five yeah. minutes, second half against um, – a Buffalo, yeah, the Cats aren't going to lose this game. Uh, when you look at, uh, you know, the Boston University uh, game, it was a little bit into the second half that you're like, okay, they take all the drama out of it. So uh, I think people bought into these platoons uh, that Cal's using. But in the second half, he's plugging guys in in a regular rotation, as he would. Okay, who's hot? Who's doing what I need to do, uh, you know, against Boston University? It was Euless, the Harrisons, and two bigs to break that zone. 
you know, then the next night it's, it's Booker coming in. I mean, he's a mad scientist. And he's going to find a way to keep all 10, 12 guys engaged because you never know when you're going to be called on. I mean, you look at Marcus Lee. How does that happen against Michigan? He had played, what, 12, 13 minutes in the last month or so of the season. He gets called on, and then bam. That's coaching. To keep a young man, McDonald's All-American, engaged when he's not playing, and then when he gets his moment, he shines, that's coaching. That's true. That's true. And um, like you mentioned, I mean, just the the options and the versatility, uh, Kentucky can adjust what the opponents are doing because they have the depth and the the stable of players to be able to have the combinations to match up whatever the opponent's doing. But they just want to say, here, here's what we're doing, and, and force the other team to attempt to match up to them. They can dictate. They can do either way. It's funny you mentioned Phil Jackson um, as far as him, you know, with coaching. And he did get to knock on, you know, he always had, you know, most talented teams. He walked into the situations where, yeah, look, you had Kobe and Jack, you had, you know, Jordan and Pippen, and he did. But and you know and of course that made things a lot easier for him because hey you know Jimmy's and Joe's you got to have players, but look at what happened before he got there when he was an assistant with the Bulls, Doug Collins wasn't able to get it you know get him over the hump, you know they you know, losing to Boston losing to Detroit you know they were they had some wins against the Cavs you know the shot against poor Craig Elo, you know I'm sure you know hate to bring that up but you know that is what it is. Phil gets in there, and, of course, we see what happens. Same thing with your Lakers. You know, Dale Harris had Shaq and Kobe for a little minute before Phil got there, and they're getting swept by the Jazz and I don't know who all else. Kobe's jacking up air balls at the end of the game. I mean, and, you know, timing is a lot, too. They, They matured, but Phil got there, and, you know, things got right, and we saw the result there, too. So, like you said, it is coaching. Even if you do have talent, that doesn't mean you always, always win. And, you know, poor Bill Collins, poor Dale Harris are perfect examples of that. Oh, yeah. It happens on the college level, too. If you yeah. remember, you know, North Carolina won the title in 93, and they brought most of that team back. And then – they added freshman Stackhouse and Wallace. I mean, that team was loaded. Get to the tournament, yep. they lose to Boston College in the second round. Talent doesn't always win. It takes coaching. Coaching at the college level is recruiting. It's it's juggling personalities. You know, I've always said that Patino's job that he did with '96, it wasn't so much X's and O's. It was balancing personalities. It was convincing Antoine Walker, you don't need to shoot 20 times a game. I mean, you gotta, that's what coaching is, and getting guys to buy into what you're selling. And I don't think there's a better coach uh, in the country better at getting his guys to buy in than Coach Cal. They arrive on campus ready to, to whatever you need, Coach, or else they wouldn't even be here. Yeah. You know, the the freshmen this year, you know, when they saw all those guys coming back, they could have changed their mind. 
You could have gone somewhere else. Booker, uh, Lyles, Towns, they could have gone somewhere else, but they saw an opportunity not just to be good or to be great. I think these guys understand they can be historically good, and I see them kind of embracing that and having fun, but that's – I'm just excited. Every game out, I'm just looking for what – you know, what combination is going to be the go-to combination? You know, a lot of the naysayers are saying, you know, with this platoon system and all these guys, how does Cal get, you know, when the game gets close, you know, who's his five going to be? And I think he determines that the first 35 minutes of the game. You know, you see Booker, you know, that short stretch that he's on shoot from the outside. So he's going to get more clock. You know what I mean? And and, and then uh, – uh, Aaron Harrison know what he is going to do in clutch situations. So I just think that's not going to be a tough decision. You go with the hot hand. Yeah. That, that's just me. I'm a, I'm a simple Kentucky fan. <laughs> hey, fair enough, fair enough. Oh, I want to jump real quick to, um, like you said, you know, talk about watching the other college teams play. Um, jump back and talk a little bit about Louisville, Ohio State last night, and then – Look ahead, you know, real quick to Texas coming in Friday, and then we'll probably by that time it'll be time for our first guest, Sam Rizzo, which report to come on and talk a little Sacramento Kings with us, a little Demarcus Cousins, and then you know finish up the show with Ron Glover. But you know, it was billed last night as a uh, you know contrasting offensive juggernaut versus the defensive juggernaut last night uh, with Ohio State coming to Louisville to play as part. And at the beginning, it was kind of ragged, in my opinion. You know, Louisville was able to build a lead, a big lead. Ohio State was missing just dunks and layups left and right. And it was one of those where, you know, that might have been able to in timeouts. They just needed to settle down, whatever they were trying to get into, you know, take a deep breath and, and you know, compose themselves. Uh, you know, Blackshear was. You know, hit a bunch of outside shots. You know, Harold did his thing. Uh, they were hitting outside shots a little more than normal. Ohio State then, you know, in the second half, they finally showed up and closed to it in like three or four. And then one one going away. But it was – even one of them were, you know, super impressive, you know, in the time I watched where I had to kind of hit the sack. But uh, it, it just – you know, just kind of a ragged game, you know, between two top 15 teams. That was just my, you know, thoughts coming away with what I saw last night. Well, now is the time, and this is what I like about college basketball. You can't hide for long. You can, as most teams do, you can stack up your first seven, eight games against a lot of cupcakes. And you can – build up your stats playing against all these directional schools and all these techs and dates and all this kind of stuff. But at some point, if you're in a power conference, you are going to play another power team. And that's where, as my dad likes to say, the rubber meets the road. Uh, I mean, you look at – now is where we start – questions start being answered. Is Kentucky that good or is Kansas that bad? Well, let's see how they progress. So starting with Texas and North Carolina and on in and with Louisville, we're going to be able to see what this – I'm going to be interested to see how mentally tough this Kentucky team is 
to kind of run this little gauntlet and, and come out on the other side. Uh, I don't think Ohio State was ready for the pressure that Louisville presents. Uh, what what Patino coaches is not exotic or or different, but he coaches it well. He's got guys that really run what he wants to do really, really well. And I, for, for my money, it, it looked like Ohio State didn't even scout what they were trying to do. Part of the press of Louisville is they want you to play fast. They want you to get out of your rhythm, you know, and you're attacking the hoop, but you're not finishing dunks and layups, which Ohio State did. Now, conversely, they may not want to speed up the game against Kentucky because we've got guys that can finish at the rim. And if you're going to, you know, get in the up-and-down game, I just don't think you have the horses to do it. Uh, so I'm going to be interested to how what Patino draws up to kind of put his guys in a position to win, and then how does Cal counteract it. So it's going to be a heck of a matchup come the 27th. Yeah, and it's it's going to be, you know, physical. They are always going to be aggressive in that press. Um as aggressive as they can be, depending on, you know, how the game is called. You know, they're going to grab and clutch and, and bump and do whatever they can to get the opposing team out of that rhythm, to get them getting into the offense uh, later than they want. So that's that's just something that you're going to have to know going in and be ready for. Like you said, Ohio State wasn't ready. you got to play through all that because it's going to happen. That, that's, I mean, that's been the case. For years, you know, you know, Rick's always got that aggressive trap and you know, press thing going on. That's that's nothing new, and we'll see that again, like we do every year when we play Louisville. Right, and and the key with playing Louisville is you don't let one mistake become two, and then two become three, because next thing you know, they're on the eight zero run on you. Okay, you turn it over. But don't get sloppy on the inbounds of that play. And that's what happens to a lot of teams when they play Louisville. They let that one mistake mushroom and become a bunch of mistakes. That's what happened with Kentucky a lot of times last year with the guys. You know, the Harrisons, a missed shot became a, you know, a missed defensive assignment, and now you've cost your – that's a four-point swing on your team. The mature teams, you, you have a turnover, you limit it to just that one. And that's what that's some of the good things I'm seeing out of this Kentucky team is okay, bad play, let's let's get it back uh going the other way. Exactly. Well yeah, the twenty seventh will be exciting. Uh, of course we got the the increase in competition coming up, so it's a nice little stretch. Beginning with the Texas Longhorn Longhorns who come in seven and oh. what are your thoughts on them coming to Lakington? This coming Friday, uh, Connecticut at the buzzer, 55-54 up there in Connecticut, and then one against Texas Arlington, which, you know, they share a common opponent. Kentucky haven't played them as well. They beat them 63-53 to last night. Well, I, I think with, uh, with Texas – I mean, we, we tease about Rick Barnes a little bit and his X's and O's. I just always feel like Texas should have more of the resume than they do. Rick Barnes, when you look at the NBA, he's got two of 
arguably top 15 guys, LaMarcus Aldridge and, uh, of course, Kevin Durant. But not to have more hardware, you know, not to have one point unseated Kansas in the Big 12, that's a head-scratcher. It it really is, because he's had some NBA-level talent, but really, and I'll probably be stretching, I don't know of any elite eights. I know he had that one, that Final Four with uh, T.J. Ford going back some, some years, but I just always feel like Texas should should have more on the resume than they do. I think with their size this year, this is going to be the first team that Kentucky is going to face to have some equal size, so it's not going to quite be what they're used to with this kind of small ball and that kind of thing. So it's going to be a different challenge, definitely. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I see the Cats winning. I mean, that's just honest. It would have been nice to see uh, Isaiah Taylor, their point guard, is out. Uh, and, you know, they, they build as a, you know, a really good player, 6-1, quick. So they would have had you know, the quickness out front would at least him to go with that size. Um, but they still, like you said, bring the size. They're the biggest and most talented group of beings that Kentucky at this point, or maybe all season. But we'll be interested to see how they respond to that. So, and it is at home. Kentucky should, should win. Of course, they'll be favored. And we'll, you know, see the second half, see how, see how things go in the second half. And as far as playing in tough environments, Texas also has already done that. You know, it's not the same UConn team as last year that won the title, but Texas was they went on the road without this Isaiah Taylor kid, and you know Connecticut is still the defending champs, and Texas found a way to get a win. You know, they hit a corner three at the buzzer, right as time expired, and for the 55-54 win, they. You know, they they rallied. They were coming back, coming back, coming back, and they were able to do so just in the next time. So they got a true road game under their belt is what I'm trying to say. Uh, coming to Lexington won't be the first time they've played a true road game. So they've already uh, got those kind of jitters out of their belt uh, or out of their system, so to speak. So uh, you know, because have to come play, and it'll be interesting to see. Cause this is, like you mentioned, uh, the first – Several games against good competition. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll be the first one to say, hey, the SEC basketball is not quite, you know, what it was, you know, at, at its apex. It wasn't last year, but we still got two teams in the Final Four. Uh, so, but Kentucky is always scheduled out of conference. I don't think that's unusual. I, I think the more. Uh, you know, we've got UCLA and more name teams they have on the, the uh, schedule, uh, you start to feel that it may be even longer before IU ends up back on the schedule. You say you, you foresee them coming back? You say, yeah, but I, I think that, I, I think IU is going to have to build up that profile. I mean, they're a name, but uh, – that's not quite where we're where we're heading. I think that uh, with the without a conference schedule, you know, Louisville's a lock, and, and then you know, Cal's going out of his way to kind of get involved in some of these tournaments. To you know, let's play Kansas, let's play Michigan State, let's play Duke, you know, let's let's 
let's get Texas in, you know, the the home and home with Baylor. Let's let's do this kind of thing. And I, I mean, it's almost becoming an afterthought. You don't really hear that clamoring like you used to. Right, right. And I always, I mean, of course, we grew up with it, so I, I always look forward to it. I always enjoy playing. I wanted to get a trip. I always, I wanted to take a trip up there and, and see Assembly Hall one time. Wasn't able to get up there, um, but you know, they're struggling. They're gonna have, like I said, they're gonna have to, to build it back. Will Tom Crane be able to do it, or will it be somebody else? And speaking about you, Dan Doggett today was on I mean, Matt Jones' show, Kentucky Sports Radio, and he firmly believes that, you know, we won't say it, but he firmly believes that Kentucky's going to go undefeated. You know, uh, it's, of course, going to take some luck. He said he mentioned how the 7-16 had a few breaks go their way. Uh, and, of course, that's, that's the case to win the championship even more. So when you go undefeated en route to a championship, uh, Kentucky will have some close games. It might, you know, be a bounce or two somewhere against some team you might not expect it to happen against. But he doesn't see them suffering a loss this season. And, you know, he's IU through and through. But he was, you know, very high on his praise of Kentucky and, and giving them props as far as the whole team, you know, the Harrison Twins and, you know, Collie Stein and, you know, the whole the whole group. But in his opinion, he doesn't see them losing. Well, and I don't want to get on that undefeated, but I still firmly believe it's going to take a down Kentucky performance from eight guys, which could happen, and a stellar performance from the opposing team. Uh, but it's you know it's always one of those road games in late January, early February. I think uh, you know that's where the John Wall team where they struggled and lost at South Carolina. And, of course, you know, the 11 team dropped a lot of road games. And, uh, you know, even 2012 at Mississippi State, you know, they had spotted Mississippi State a lead and then kind of shut things down. So it's it's how you do on those random, you know, Tuesday-Wednesday games kind of in the middle of the season that I think is the biggest obstacle to going undefeated. Not so much – the name games because everybody's going to get up for Kansas, Louisville, North Carolina. It's those. Hey, we got to go down to Auburn. We're playing in front of six thousand people. You know what? Not. I think those are the ones <laughs> where it's tougher to stay sharp for. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, like you said, those kind of. I mean, they're going to get everybody's best shot, and it could be something like that. You know. Uh, you know, teams will be up. Like you said, somebody might go nuts shooting threes. Uh, two or three guys for a certain team might be playing out of their minds. Uh, things like that happen. So it, it might be the case. Um, what do you see with Duke and Wisconsin tonight? And you know, I work with a lot of people from there. So Wisconsin, that's how they say it. You know, <laughs> what do you see between <laughs> the Blue Devils and the Badgers? This will be a true road game for Duke. Is it? You know, it's up there in Madison. It's not a neutral side game. Uh, what do you well, see with them going on tonight? Most people, uh, you know, as I kind of read and everything, think that, you know, you kind of got five teams and then everybody else. You got Duke, Kentucky, uh, you got uh, Wisconsin, you know, and Louisville. You put them in the mix and then there's kind of everybody else. Yeah, uh, Arizona a little bit too. Yeah, 
Uh, Arizona, I watched their game when they were in Maui, and I know that's not a good indicator, but uh, they've got a bunch of post guys, but their backcourt, I I don't know if the backcourt's going to be able to get it done, especially because, you know, postseason tournament, it really becomes um, about your guard play. And I'm not sold on Arizona uh, because of that. Um, I'll be honest with you. I see all the hype for the Frank Kaminsky. I watched him, you know, in that Final Four game last year. I wasn't all that impressed. Yes, you know, he was going against Julius Randle and Dakari Johnson and uh, and Marcus Lee. But when you tell me somebody is is, is an All American, I'm looking for a, a a play or something he does where it makes you go wow. And I didn't go wow. I haven't watched a lot of Wisconsin games, but I'm not. I'm not sold on on what I've been told about him, so that's going to be a good game to watch. Yeah, and tonight it'll be you know Jaleel Okafor, the you know freshman phenom for Duke, their big man. Uh, so they'll be going head to head, and you know barring foul trouble from one or the other, we can see uh, who impresses or who you know who gets the better of that matchup. You know, got a young guy going up against a veteran on his home court. So, you know, we'll see how Okafor responds, and we'll see what Mitch Kaminsky brings to the table tonight, too. Yeah, I, I'll be interested because I always try to – yeah, of course, I'm a Kentucky guy, but I love basketball and all its shapes and, and, and forms. Uh, so I'll watch it and root against Duke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that almost goes without saying, you know. Unless <laughs> – Unless they're playing, well, unless they're playing Louisville, which until Kevin Ware hurt his leg, I was rooting for the first time in my life. I think I was rooting for for Duke. Yeah, I was wanting Duke to win that game. Of course, Louisville won it, but I never rooted for the Tart in my life, and I did that day when they were playing Duke until the whole Kevin Ware incident happened. Yeah, well. Yeah, I, I I was rooting for Louisville that day uh, too. So I, yeah, but moving on to other and things. <laughs> don't yeah, that was no that that's I'm sorry that's twice I root for Louisville twice because back when you know Bruce Pearl had Tennessee going in the tournament on a consistent basis they made a couple Sweet 16 runs uh, and things like that. Louisville played Tennessee in the tournament and you know it was it was really it was a pick your poison day for me. But I had to uh, I had to root for the Cardinals that day, so that's twice. And you know, I'm just in full disclosure. I've rooted for them twice in my life, but those are extenuating circumstances. We're talking about Duke and Tennessee as the opponents. Speaking of Tennessee, real quick before Sam Rizzo comes on, uh, I text you the link <laughs> to Tennessee students. Fooled around and got themselves arrested because they were in Nashville at Vanderbilt uh, trying to remove home plate from Vanderbilt Stadium, Vanderbilt's baseball stadium. So, I mean, you know, we we haven't really, uh, since we've been doing the show, you know, just, you know, taking jabs and shots at, you know, opposing schools. You know, we talk about them. We have friendly banter. You and I both got friends and family of other teams and stuff like that. But I just couldn't let that go without <laughs> – mentioning that because it was, you know, it was in the the Tennessean, you know, the prominent foremost newspaper there in Nashville, 
and it was, you know, two guys, you know, Forrest Bullen, Austin Shelton, both 21 years old, um, got a, a warrants for their arrest, did about $10,000 worth of damage, which ten grand in damage for for trying to, you know, excavate home plate from Hawkins Stadium where Vanderbilt plays baseball. That is insane to me. Yeah, that, that when you sent me that, I'm thinking, what is Vanderbilt? But I forgot it won the College World Series here recently. Uh, yeah. For their first championship, because I was like, why would you do that to Vanderbilt? But then it clicked. Oh, yeah, Vanderbilt's actually won something. So yeah, I was like, that, I guess, makes sense. I guess. I, I I don't know, but I just thought that was pretty. Yeah, and I sent it to um, to my buddy, you know, Michael Villa, MV. You know, he's a huge Tennessee fan. I've known him, known each other since we're about 10 or 11 years old. Of course, he thought it was hilarious. Um, he was scratching his head about the 10 grand in damage. And I was like, well, you know, those. Those bandy guys, you know, they, they probably snuck a little multiplication and calculus into the estimates since it was UT guys that it, <laughs> you know, vandalized the field. But, you know, that, that whole rivalry situation. He also said that there was some, you know, ticket gouging going on with, you know, Tennessee and Vanderbilt having played this past Saturday down in Nashville where, you know, Vanderbilt fans weren't going to the game, but they were just charging through the roof to keep Tennessee fans from going. So it's just that whole, you know, being jerks to one another, <laughs> that whole situation. So that's two knuckleheads here that, I, I mean, I still don't get it. But that's it is what it is. They got arrested, and I just said, man, that is just wild. So felony, vandalism, and resisting arrest, and they will be in Davidson County Court in Nashville two weeks from yesterday on December the 16th. So, you know, there you go. That, that, yeah, I'm, I'm still chuckling. Why you need to uh, uh, harass poor Vanderbilt? Leave, leave the <laughs> And my thing was, um, like I said, they they have you know won the College World Series. My thing, Tennessee historically has had some pretty good baseball. You, know, you got a R.A. Dickey pitching there you know, with the Mets and the Blue Jays. You know, famous knuckleballer there. He's you know, getting up in years, but he's throwing a knuckleball, so that's going to help him stay around longer. Todd Helton had played for the Colorado Rockies for years. Both of those guys went to Tennessee. But recently their baseball hasn't been that good, you know. They're trying to build and get it back. So I don't know if maybe these guys are trying to do some kind of curse of the Commodore thing and maybe where the baseball mojo is swing back into their favor. Oh, <laughs> We know about the Cubs and all, you know, the curse of Billy Gold. We know about Red Sox and curse of the Babe, which they finally broke in 2004. And, you know, heck, they've been winning World Series every few years now. But um, that's all I can think of. They were really trying to put some kind of curse on Vandy since, you know, the in-state baseball rival is having more success. That's, that's, that's a reach. That was what I was thinking. Exactly, exactly. I, you you got to chuckle at that. When Vanderbilt is, is drawing your athletic ire, uh, it's time to reevaluate Tennessee fans. That's it. And, you know, Vanderbilt's got that strong bowling team, too. I think they might have had a championship or two, maybe there before they finally got one in baseball. 
But uh, it is what it is, as they say. We uh, are waiting for Tim Rizzo to be calling and joining us in a couple minutes. Talk a little Sacramento Kings. They're out to a 9-9 nine nine start. A uh, few games ahead of your Lakers there out west. Speaking of your Lakers, let's go ahead and talk about your boy Kobe. He had a pretty good week, wouldn't you say? He messed around and get a triple-double, and then... Uh, he he, he did. 30,000 points and 6,000 assists. Let me, let me let you go ahead and wax poetic about your guy there for a little bit. Man. Well, well here's, here's, here's my thing. You know, everybody says that Kobe doesn't pass. Well, it's obvious that he does. He's, he's in a club kind of uh, to himself. And I've always said the biggest knock on Kobe Bryant is that he's not Michael Jordan. Without the, the shadow of Jordan hanging over him, I think we'd be able to better appreciate what he's what he's done. I think LeBron should shake Kobe's hand because Kobe acted as a buffer between uh, Jordan and, and LeBron. So LeBron didn't have to shoulder that brunt of being that next guy after MJ like Kobe did. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Kobe guy. I still, uh, you know, I glossed over this last time we talked. I, I still think they left two or three titles on the table in L.A., him and Shaq. I will always believe they could have gotten more out of their uh, their pairing than they did. But, I mean, Kobe, uh, like everybody else, he's a flawed guy. But, I mean, his talent is undeniable. When you say that he's not, you know, one of those top 20 guys of all time, I think you're 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 kind of telling on yourself uh, with that. I think he's a, he's a great guy. Still won't be my top Laker of all time. That's going to be magic until he comes back and plays again. Um, but you, you, you got to give Kobe his props. I mean, as far as longevity, as far as just talent when he was at his peak, I mean – uh, you know, for for a four or five year stretch, which is an eternity in, in basketball time, I mean, he was he was the guy, and he was he was the main guy, main draw of the league. So, you you tip your hat to what he's able to uh, have accomplished, and I'm hoping the Lakers can send him out a winner, but I'm not convinced of that at all. Think, and I'm fixing to tweet it out right now on our show link that Cat Talk Wednesday. Do you think he tried too much to be like Jordan coming up? I mean, you know the thing on YouTube, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, just the identical plays, Kobe and Jordan, they've kind of pieced them together and both of them are making identical moves and similar spots on the floor. Did he try a little too hard to walk and talk like Mike as a young guy coming up or, you know, that did not bother you? You know, that talk's always been out there. Well, I I think he did. I mean, but – uh, with Kobe being, you know, in our age bracket, who didn't? I mean, who who didn't get the baggy shorts, you shave your head, you get the, the arm, you know, get the wristband on your forearm? Who didn't stick out their tongue when you were trying to hit a layup and almost bite it off? I mean, that's what we all did in that <laughs> age group. So it just so happened that when Kobe was 18, he was in the NBA doing it, and I was doing it on a rec league court. <laughs> and you can. That, that, so that's the only difference. Uh, but I, I think that uh, when you look at the degree of difficulty of of, of his shots and kind of what he developed, uh, I mean that fadeaway where he fades 
behind the backboard. I mean, that is a you got You can put that up with with Jordan's fadeaway, with Kareem Skyhook. Is that when he got that going, you knew you were in for a treat. Um, you know, and we can you know we can sit back and be kind of revisionist histories and prisoners of the moment, but. You know, for you know, five or six years there. I mean, Kobe was—he was the man. Uh, so, uh, to, and I said the, the worst thing he did, and he brought it on himself with the comparisons to Jordan, and and kind of emulating Jordan a lot of different things. But uh, I think over time we'll be able to kind of stand back and and look at what he was able to do and and say, okay, we watched one of the all-time greats pass through. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, we'll keep the NBA talk going on Cats Talk with Benny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. As now we have on the line our first guest of the evening. He writes for Bleacher Report. He's a featured columnist covering the Sacramento Kings. We have Mr. Sim Risso on the line. You're on with Cats Talk with Benny and Terry. Sim, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? Can't complain. Appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with us tonight, sir. From the West Coast, I might add. Yep, yep. Uh, right here, uh, Sacramento area. So, yeah. And, of course, the Kings are out to a 9-9 start out in the uh, Pacific Division. Um, Cousins, of course, playing good. Former Wildcat, we keep our eye on him. Oh, what's kind of caught your eye the most as far as them playing well, holding their own, and and continuing to build into being a good team out in the loaded Western Conference? Uh, well, there's a couple of different things that I've seen uh, that that I think bode well for their future. I think the first one is uh, the head coach Mike Malone, and you know he, he doesn't have much of a track record as a head coach. Obviously, last year was his first season as one, but. Uh, he was a long-time assistant in the league, and he worked with um, some really good players. Like, for example, uh, he, co- he coached LeBron James with uh, with Cleveland and Chris Paul with, with the Hornets, and you hear those guys talk about him, and they have huge respect for him. Uh, but beyond that, one of the things that kind of stood out for me about him was uh, it, it actually made a national news last year, but in the game against the Pelicans, the Kings just uh, just were terrible, and and he basically came out after the game, just, you know, we're a bad team, and, and kind of threw him under the bus. And, and you would think, you know, when a coach comes out and does something like that, that, you know, it's either going to spark the team or it's going to backfire, and it and it actually sparked him, and, and everybody just kind of got behind him. So I think uh, I think that's a big part of it. You know, you, you listen to the players, they, they respect him. Um, when you talk to them after the game, they're basically echoing whatever Malone said in his breakdown of it. Uh, but then, of course, uh, just as far as the players go, I think adding Darren Collison was a was a huge uh, get for the Kings. You know, a lot of people kind of scratched their heads at the fact that the team let Isaiah Thomas go and they brought in Collison, you know, because if you look at the numbers, uh, Thomas was a better player last year. There's no question about that. But but uh, Collison, I think, is a better fit for this team, just a, just a better point guard. He seems to get everybody else involved in and probably more importantly is he's a much better defensive player, and that's kind of um, Coach Malone's identity. So those would be the two things that off the top of my head that I would say that are kind of getting this team going in the right direction. Talking with Sam Risso, covers the Kings for Bleacher Report. 
at Sam Risso on Twitter, S-I-M-R-I-S-S-O. Um, you also wrote a piece uh, a few days ago about Carl Landry, um, which he's been around. He's a, a veteran guy now, been around for some different teams. Um, how has he kind of been sparked for them, a valuable piece for them so far in the early season? Oh well, yeah, I think uh, I think his return is huge, and uh, you're probably pretty familiar with him uh, from his time in Houston. But uh, yeah, definitely, I think I think uh, I think having him back is, has been a huge uh, a huge boost for the Kings, mainly because you look at uh, Jason Thompson, who is their primary point guard and you know the starter, and he's uh, he's, he's a solid defensive player and, and he can rebound the ball, but he just doesn't provide much on offense, and that's where where Landry comes in. And, he can really, you know, provide a boost to that that second unit when he's in the game. Uh, he can bang down low, get some rebounds as well. And he's also uh, got, you know, experience being on some good teams. He was with the Warriors when they made the playoffs a couple of years ago. And, you know, as well, uh, Coach Malone was uh, the lead assistant there at the time. So the two of them are pretty familiar with each other from their time together in Golden State as well. So I think that's also kind of helped him uh, get back to uh, – back to what he was able to do. But, of course, the main thing is just being healthy. You know, last year he started the season with a hip injury, causing, caused him to miss the first couple months, and then went down with a knee injury after that, which basically ended the season. And even when he was on the court, he just wasn't himself. So I think just being being healthy mm-hmm. again is, is a huge part of it. Now, Sam, a lot of what you're saying kind of points to just remaking the roster because we know, you know, being Kentucky guys, we kind of followed – Cousins, you know, as he went out to Sacramento, and it, it just seemed they had a lot of knuckleheads out there. That, that there wasn't good ball movement. The, the locker room didn't seem like it was the, the best place. Uh, but it seems like with some of these moves, what you're saying, they've kind of remade the roster, and, and that's kind of what's got them going in the right direction. The guys may not be – the statistics may not be the same as guys that were let go, but the, the locker room and team chemistry is a little bit better. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's definitely fair to say. I think uh, you know, I think a lot of the thing with uh, in the past, the past teams, a lot of it just uh, like anything else, it kind of uh, trickles down from the top. And you had the Maloofs, who were the previous owners, and you know, for a long time they were they were really good owners in Sacramento here, but things started to go south with the arena. They weren't able to get one, and then they kind of went into some financial troubles, weren't really spending money on the team, and it basically created a toxic situation. I think, you know, as far as I know, you guys are familiar with DeMarcus, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff that went on with him early in his career, I think, was, was, was somewhat related to that, just because I think he, he's the type of guy that, uh, I think, like, for one, I think he, he loves to win, and I think he, he's always been a dedicated player, but I think he needs a structured system, and I think, you know, bringing in a new coach and having an owner that has his back, and I think uh, things like that have really kind of, uh, helped him out, and just in general, though, you know, bringing in those new people has kind of created a whole new situation, as you talked about in the locker room. It's just a completely different team. It's almost like, uh, in some ways, uh, like addition by subtraction. Because I you think playing for, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do you think that uh, you know, his time with Team USA uh, helped him a lot over the summer, coming into this season? Talking about the market, of course. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, in some ways I think that's overstated only because he was, uh, I, from what I saw, you know, and of course uh, 
the narr- the, na- the national narrative is, is a little bit different, but but from what I saw last year, he was kind of already starting to come around, you know, as far as his uh, his personality and, and you know, kind of getting his uh, I guess his anger, for lack of a better term, getting that that sort of stuff uh, in check. Um, and then he also just took a huge step last year as far as a player goes. But where I think uh, being on Team USA really helped him was just being around you know those type of players, like really good players. Um, obviously playing against them, practicing against them is going to help. But I think also just kind of, it, it you know, provided an example of the type of work that, that the players that are at that level put in. You know, I mean, obviously a lot of it is talent, but, you know, you, that only takes you so, so far. You have to obviously put in all the work that goes along with it. And I think just being around those guys helped them tremendously. And then I think the fact that Rudy Gay was on the team uh, with him as well, I think that's, that's helped him, and it's kind of helped the two of them have a bond together. And I think that, as far as um, helping the Kings, I think the fact that both of them are on the team together is really uh, um, paying dividends for him. Hey, go ahead, TB. I didn't mean to cut you off, man. Well, I was just saying that the first when when Demarcus first got there, and, and a lot of the post players, uh, you know, you'd they post up make a move, you know, the double team would come, they'd throw the ball, and it would never come back. And I think that added to a lot of frustration as well, is if you're not, you know, you got to reward the big man if he's working hard for you. And I didn't see a lot of that, you know, the first couple uh, seasons he was there. And you know, now when you watch the team, it's it's it, it's a team. It's, it, they're headed back to kind of where they were in those glory days with Rick with Adam and those bunch. I mean, I'm a Lakers guy. And, you know, I'll be the first person to say that there's a couple of series that, you know, bounce here or there, and it could have been a different, uh, you know, a different uh, turnout uh, in those games. So uh, don't we, I, don't we wish. Don't we wish. <laughs> <laughs> I do <Yeah>. anyway, man. <laughs> Poor, I mean, and my guy, Robert Ory with the dagger, Robert Ory with that dagger in 2000. You're, you're, oh. you're, you're killing me. But but for the record, Vinny, I gotta tell you, in, in my jersey collection, I do have a Mitch Richmond uh, jersey. I'm gonna tweet that out to you guys here in just a second. Oh, there you go. hey Sam. Um, of course, you know, outside of Lexington, Kentucky, Mobile, Alabama, Marcus's hometown, and Sacramento, California, like you said, uh, the narrative of of Marcus being such a hot head with such a short fuse, it kind of gets blown out of proportion. Uh, everybody saw when he had to hold Mike Malone back. You know, Malone was a little bit heated, Mark holding him back. And, of course, there was a lot of talk about that a few weeks ago. Was that as big a deal, you know, there in Sacramento, right there in your city and among the team, or is everybody just kind of like, you know, didn't read as much into it because, like Kentucky fans, like you know, native Alabamians, Sacramento now knows the markets for the markets as well. Yeah, I, I'd say it's more the latter. Uh, you know, where where people just kind of already accepted that he was he was making strides in that area, and, and um, you know, it was certainly something that was pointed out. Like for example, I, I want to say that was a game against Phoenix when he fouled out at the end of regulation, and the game was going into overtime, and it was a questionable call. And so, you know, it was a road game, and I remember the, the broadcasters, you know, pointing it out, look at DeMarcus holding Malone back. But but I think it was just kind of that in passing. You know, I, I think it 
it, like you said, it did take on kind of a life of its own as far as a, a national story goes. But in Sacramento, I don't think it was like really that huge of a deal from what I recall. That's kind of what you would think. Everybody would see uh, a highlight of him, you know, where he's upset about something, and everybody thinks he's like that all the time. And then, of course, adding the fact that the Sacramento's a West Coast team, that's the perception that the bulk of the country has. So I was I was curious to see what, you know, your take and as well as kind of the vibe of the city would be on that, and I was kind of thinking that it wouldn't be as big of a deal. So that's that's good to see. And it's good to see them continue to improve and and stay strong. You, know, you did a piece about their upcoming games, kind of a preview of what they've got coming down the road. Who's up next on the docket for them, and uh, how do you see the next few games playing out with them? Are they going to be able to continue to stay above 500? You know, they're going to put a few a little streak together. Do you, you think? Uh, you know, it, it kind of depends. I think uh, so. They they actually have some favorable games coming up. They have. Uh, Indiana on Friday, and then they have Orlando on Saturday, and um, I forget the ones that are that are on the schedule following that. But I know they have a lot of winnable games. They have a streak of, of games against teams below 500. But uh, to answer your question, as far as whether they can keep it up, I think you know I, I don't know. Um, as far as above 500, I don't know how long they can they can keep that up. I think the big thing that's hurting him, you know, we were talking about Demarcus, is he's uh, he's. He's been dealing with a virus lately, and he's missed the last three games. And the Kings, of course, are 0-3 in those games. And uh, I actually looked this up since I knew I was coming on here because uh, it was something that stood out to me. In the past two years, the team is actually 0-14 when he hasn't started or when he hasn't played in the game. And so, you know, just kind of give you an idea of how valuable he is to the team. And so I think they've already ruled him out through this weekend's game. So, you know, I think uh, – I think it's going to be difficult for them to win those two games without him, especially against Indiana. You know, I think the Kings, though, at full strength, are probably better than the Pacers this year without Paul George. But, you know, you have uh, Roy Hibbert and David West. You have some big guys on that team. And without having a big man in the middle, I think it could be difficult. But I think the team uh, overall, I think, you know, it's going to be so difficult in in the Western Conference to make the playoffs. But I think they can stick around 500. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, if that happened, and if you would have asked me that question at the start of the season, I would have said no way. So I think uh, in a lot of ways, you know, it, it's certainly encouraging, and I think that in a lot of ways it can keep up. Good stuff. Um, and as of right now, Terry Brown, TB's Lakers, are four games behind them in the Pacific. They're 5-13. and 13. We just hope that they keep that cushion and perhaps build on that. Just <laughs> Put their foot on the Lakers and keep them in the cellar. That's all. That's all I'm asking. That's not too much. That I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, well, I think. Uh... <laughs> the, the thing is, when you're East Coaster trying to keep up with a West Coast team, it stinks when they're horrible because you stay up late and you watch your team lose, and then you got to go to bed late. So when your team is struggling, uh, keeping up with a West Coast team is really, really difficult. Yeah, 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 I can. Uh, sure. I can. I can only imagine. I went. Uh, I was actually back east a, a couple weeks ago for a, a family for a wedding in the Giants. You know, I'm a big San Francisco Giants fan, and they were in the in the playoffs at the time, and it was killing me. You know, I'd stay up until like like one or two in the morning just to watch the end of these playoff games. So yeah, I can only imagine it. 
if you got to do it all year round, it's uh, it's got to be rough. Yeah, it can. <laughs> it can keep you sleepy from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did tweet that hey. picture of my Mitch Richmond jersey out to you guys, so it's out there on the interwebs. And hey, we definitely got to check that out. Hey, Tim, <laughs> man. I appreciate you coming on with us, man. Come on and talk a little Kings, a little NBA talk uh, for Bleacher Report. Jumping on with us from the West Coast out there. Uh, I'd like to get you on again in the future. You know, we have, we'll tweet a little MLB notes back to one another over the years. Back on, talk some Giants and some Braves, and maybe uh, down the road talk a little more Kings. Uh, we'd love to have you on again, man. Thanks for joining us tonight. Absolutely. Anytime, man. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. We appreciate it, sir. Take care, man. All right, you too. That is Sim Rizzo, covers the Sacramento Kings for Bleacher Report. So it's good stuff talking with him. And we will jump right to our next guest. We go from one coach right to the other. go from Sacramento to Philly, the city of brotherly love. We got the editor-in-chief of the startingfive.net. That would be Mr. Ron Glover joining us right now on Catch Talk with Benny and Terry. Ron, appreciate you ripping and running to get home and dump on our little show tonight. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing, Benny? How you doing, Terry? I'm doing good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I Sorry. wish I was in Sacramento. I'm battling this nasty cold. I can use some of that good Sacramento sun and fun to uh, fence with this, <laughs> some of this winter cold off, but I'll be all right. Definitely getting chilly everywhere but there in Florida, yeah. We can get a little envious of them guys this time of year for sure. Definitely. Man, I, like a, like a uh, text you, I think, or a DM you on Twitter, uh, got you on because you got that Philly vibe. We've had also in the past, uh, Michael Tillery's been on, talk some Phillies, talk some Eagles, talk some Sixers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on what happened last Thursday, like I, like I said, I'm a glutton for punishment because, you know, you're a Philly guy, <laughs> and you and I both saw what happened down in Dallas last Thursday. I mean, y'all, the Eagles were flying. They, they looked good. I mean, you know, it was – it took me by surprise. I, I really thought it would have been a much closer game, but uh, the offensive line played great. Um I expected more of that from the Dallas offensive line. But the offensive line played great, and the defense was just lights out. Uh, I normally have my complaints about the secondary, but they pretty much held down. But I'm still convinced that this is going to go down to the wire. Uh, It's the NFC. And, um, you know, we've got Mark Sanchez back there. And he's in Philly for a reason. Um at the same time, he did go to two consecutive AFC championships. But, he, like I said, he's in Philly for a reason. And, uh, you know, he's not – he's still prone to mistakes. And I think the way this thing shakes out, it's going to come down to the final games of the season. It's going to come down to, you know, week 17. And I, I picked Philly at the beginning of the season, and, and my Cowboys have – they've exceeded my expectations. Um, I just want to see if we can get one more win and get the nine. We haven't done that in a while. I'm tired of the eight and eight stuff. 
Uh, but you guys got Seattle coming into town. How do you see them stacking up against the defending champs? I think finally in week 14, we'll see what this team is made of. Um, they had a, a great game early in the season in Indianapolis, a great road win. Uh, they had a great comeback win in week one. They were blown out in Green Bay, yet they show up big last week. I think this year will be the defining moment of the season. And this will determine whether you have maybe a 12-4 and team with the first-round bye. And, you know, if it's at that point, then you have to wonder, you know, can this team win in the divisional and go into Green Bay and maybe hold their own? Or are you gonna have are you gonna have a ten and six team that's gonna, you know, once again maybe host a wild card game and maybe see in Atlanta or New Orleans or even a Dallas and, you know, get right back where you were last year. But I think Sunday really defines this team season. Wow, mm-hmm. that is strong. Well, and I'd like to interject here, Vinny. Can I interject for Mm -hmm. a second? Sure. Yeah, man. Uh, My Niners are undefeated against the NFC East, so I'm just going to step back out now. You all go ahead and continue. I'm just going to throw that out there. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) We we were a yard away, man. We were a yard and and a smart call away. That's all I can say. (laughs) Nick Foles falls forward, we win. But, hey, I, I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. Uh, a yard away, that was a lot closer than, than the Cowboys were in week one. I wish we could have been a yard away. <laughs> now, um, keep it on the NFC East since, since this, uh, you know, we'll kick Terry back out of this conversation now, Ron. You know, yeah. you're a Philly guy, yeah. you know, you know Eagles fan. In the NFC East, mm. who do you hate the most? For me, it's the Redskins and the Eagles. I've never really – up that angst towards the Giants, like you know, first two. Which team do you dislike most in the division? Just from a fan standpoint, kid, you like, yes. As, as as a kid, it was always the Cowboys. <laughs> even into my young, even into my young adult life, it was the Cowboys. Um, it was never really the Redskins, but I would say maybe for the last ten or twelve years, it's probably been the Giants. And I, I really can't cool. say that I hate them. I really can't say that I hate the Giants because I, I would think if I was other than if I was anything other than an Eagles fan, I would either be a Steelers fan or probably a Giants fan. I really respect cool. Tom Coughlin and what he's done. Yeah, hard not. To. I, I think they give Philly. I think they give the Eagles the most the most headaches. I, I really do. <laughs> That is true. We're talking with Ron Glover, editor-in-chief of the Starting5.net, a Philly guy, talking Eagles, Giants, NFC East, a little NBA. Uh, not, like I said, not going to kill you about the Sixers. Um, hey, man, you, just, hey, you, know, you, 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 you emptied your clip with your Cowboys, so I'm, I'm, I'm open game for the Sixers. <laughs> I'm open game, um, man. And, I saw where you, and you shared the link to our show on your Facebook page. I appreciate that. And, you know, some of your friends on Facebook, when you put on there that I was going on a U.K. show, 
a lot of them talk, started talking about, you know, Sixers versus Wildcats and, you know, that whole debate's been racing, you know, because Kentucky's off to a good start. The Sixers are trying to get their first win against the Timberwolves. You're, they were asking you questions, and your answers were, you know, giving insight to a lot of things that I was wondering. But as far as the the front office, the the higher-ups there, I mean, we know that Philly's got a reputation as as a fan base. You know, they want you know they want to see a good product on the field, on the court, on the ice, or whatever the case may be. As far as this prolonged process of getting better, are are the fans buying what's being sold, or are they already over it? What's what's the vibe in the city as far as that goes? Uh, it's very painful to watch. Um. And really it goes back to the Andrew Biden trade because that whole thing set the franchise back. Okay, then we move forward. We grab, uh, you know, we shake everything up. We tear it up. Uh, we trade. Drew Holiday, we get Nerlens Noel. We grab Michael Carter-Williams. It's okay, wait a year. We tank. We get Joel Embiid, we grab uh, Sarek from overseas, and I think part of the frustration is that other than K.J. Daniels, we have no other rookies to look at this year. And I think if we grab someone like Doug McDermott at 10, you have him, you have K.J. McDaniels, you have Noel, you have Tony Roten, and, of course, you have Michael Carter-Williams. Now you have a little something that you can look at and hang your hat on a little bit. Now you don't have that. You don't really have a definitive score. And I see where the plan is to build from the inside out. But your inside is on a bum knee. You've got Embiid coming in next year. He's going to be fragile, and we just hope and pray that he comes back healthy and more than anything in shape and with his mind ready to go. And, you know, the next, when that all happens, now you have to wonder what the next move is. We have all these draft picks and tons of money stored up. Who are we going after? Are we going to stockpile these picks, send them to OKC with the number one pick to make a deal for Durant? I mean, there's a ton of things that they have that they, they have at their disposal. Right now, we just don't know what the next step is. I mean, right now, the next step is hopefully to get a win, but even if that doesn't come, they're all right with that. With that. The fans, we're, we're just taking it in stride, and we're just hoping <laughs> that a better day comes from this because right now it's it's hard to watch, man. It's hard to watch. And I'm a, I'm a Houston Rockets fan. You guys, that was as close as you've come so far to getting a victory, 88-87. And I was I was like, surely the goodness, we can't let them get off the snot against us. But you know, hey, they. And do you did you see the end of that game? Not, did you see how that game ended? No, uh uh-uh, uh, I did not. I Brett, Brett Sixers seventy sixes coach Brett Brown. Kicked the basketball. There was a breakaway foul on James Harden. Uh, I think the Sixers were up 88 
No, I think they were up 86, 84. They were up maybe two or three points. Brett Brown kicks the ball, technical foul, two free throws for Harden, and whatever else Houston needed to ice the game by one. And that's when it really began to sit in with the fans that, you know what, they're blowing the season, and they're intentionally tanking. Mm-hmm. But we know they're intentionally tanking, but to snatch a, a victory away like that is just terrible. And they played the Timberwolves tonight. Yeah. So that put it on a whole other level. That that game right there really, really, really let you know is what you're saying. Yes, definitely. Hey, go ahead, TV, man. i cut you off again. My bad. Well, I mean, no, I was just saying, when, when you've got a, a front office that doesn't really have a clear vision on how they want to get better, that's what I think fans get frustrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Lakers guy, and I'm just confused because I don't know what the next step after Kobe is going to be. Whereas, you know, with Gary West, I mean, he had plans in place, you know, when he was the GM. But yes. when you kind of got – uh, that Midland kind of, you know, not quite as bad as, as as Philadelphia, but fans, I think, can take a season. But if they kind of feel you're building towards something, I think that buys you a little bit more time than if they don't think you know what you're doing at all. Exactly. Exactly. And I think by them not drafting McDermott and going with the player overseas with, with the number 10 pick when there was so much more available, that spoke volumes. Yeah. That spoke volumes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, mm. it, you know, and, and, and the thing is, the, they're not giving the fans a discount on this year's tickets. Not at so all. They're still, yeah. they still paying for those concessions and everything, even though the product on the court, you know, is not even trying to be competitive. That's, the I think, the thing that really kills fans is when you're not even trying and it wasn't really – I don't even really think they put their best foot forward to get Andrew Wiggins. I think their heart was set on Embiid all along. I believe they were set on Embiid all along. And it was just a, a, a smoke screen, to, you know, talking about Wiggins and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. That is interesting. Talking with Ron Glover, editor-in-chief of the StartingFive.net. Um, as I mentioned, man, uh, I got Michael Tilly. has been on the show a couple times with us. I know a while back, you know, before Brown was hired as a coach, he was uh, a proponent or supporter of former Sixer Aaron McKee uh, possibly getting a shot as the head coach. I mean, can't get any more Philly than Aaron McKee. Played at Temple the whole nine. You guys know him, you know, all very, very well. Looking at yes. things now, are you guys glad that maybe he's not in this situation trying to coach and field a winning team and get W's in this bottom line league? Would you rather him see it get a shot get a shot elsewhere in a better situation or how did you how are you guys or how are you personally on how it played out? I'm I'm referencing what Mike wrote, but what are your thoughts on Aaron if he goes on to look to be a head coach? I think Aaron's in a in a good situation right now. Uh, he's currently on the coaching staff staff at Temple University. Uh, Fran Dunphy is still the coach there, but they've been so-so over the last few years. And I think Aaron may be getting groomed for this job. 
I mean, that would be mm-hmm. a dream job for him as well as the Sixers. But for him to walk in John Chaney's footsteps, who is more or less like a father to him, I think that would be his dream job. And he has the wherewithal to go into the city schools and, you know, pull his strings and just so many things that he he would be able to do on another level for uh, Temple, even in the even in terms of recruiting. I think it would be something great for him. I think the Sixers' job would have been would have been good for him. Maybe not. Maybe not losing to this extent, because this would make a same man flip. And <laughs> I think McKee is one of the most laid back, nicest guys you'll meet. Same as same as Mo. He, he kind of reminds me of Mo Cheeks. He's kind of in that that type of uh, atmosphere. And this would it wouldn't be good. This team here wouldn't be good. Yeah, so it's definitely working out for the best that he's where he's at, and any situation he moves on to in the future is going to be better than what's going on now, right? Definitely. I think he's going to be fine at Temple, and I think ultimately that will be his job. Hmm. That'd be cool to see him there. He sure would. And I'm an outsider looking in, but that, that'd be cool to see see Aaron coaching Temple up there. I got I to gotta instigate for just a minute. And Philadelphia is a city that I have yet to visit. Uh, we, we've had Michael on before. And, of course, you and I have texted him before about you know, what a good influence he's been. And this is how cool it is just to pick his brain on so many different topics. Okay. I'm just going to ask you, what is as far as just playing ball, what is the deep spot in Philadelphia? The playground at the gym, what's the name of the place where if you think you can play, where do you go? Well, there are, there are a few places. Um, one place that's legendary is uh, 16th and Susquehanna. Uh, that's a place where guys came from all over the city. And uh, it was more or less like a pro-am league because you had guys from the NBA coming home for the summer. They may have played a game or two. Uh, you had your top high school players. You had your top college players. Uh, the league was uh, named eventually, I believe, in 91 or 92 after Hank Gathers. Um, his rec center, the rec center that's named in his honor, uh, has a league. They have 25 and un, 25 and over, 30 and over, 40 and over, 50 and over. So that's probably the premier league in the city right now. I mean, there's some others spread throughout, but within Philadelphia, that's probably the best league that you're going to see. That's cool. And like I said, I was going to instigate. So here's my my one silly question for the, the All session. Right. Yeah. You on your best day, Michael Tilly on his best day. Who's who's winning if y'all play best out of seven or or what? Maybe you that maybe this is happening. Somebody can hold it over the other's head with some trash talk. When if y'all are going at it, since y'all are two Philly guys we've had on our show, who's who's coming out on top if y'all lace them up and go at it? 
on any of the hottest places in Philly to play. Oh man, <laughs> Mike! Mike! <laughs> I told you. Mike's Mike's a big fella, and so I, I can see Mike taking me in the paint, but I would have to use my my outside range and the little bit of quickness I have left to try and get to the old, you know, hope he doesn't Rick Mahorn or something like that. <laughs> that. That's that's all I can hope for. That's all and I can hope for. All, who is your all-time favorite sixer? My all-time favorite sixer? Yes. It has to be Doc. I mean, Doc okay. and Iverson are one and one eight, but Doc, gun in my head, got to go with Doc. And I just read his his autobiography um, over the spring and the summer. And just a great book to read. Just a great book. He really got into some things that, really some detailed things in his life that I would have never known. And it really mm. gave me more of a introspective look at him and even more respect for him as a man. I, I, I love Doc. I'm sorry, I can't forget Moses Malone either. I can't forget Moses. Moses may be my favorite player of all time. Okay, I mean, y'all got a long list of legends for sure. It makes it a little bit difficult to pick, no doubt. Man, Ron, we appreciate you taking the time to hop on that little show and talk Philly, talk Eagles, talk Sixers, talk yourself versus Mr. Tillery. Uh, we'll hey. have you on again sometime <laughs> in the future. You got all kinds of great content on starting5.net, uh, at Ron Glover2, you're RG2, basically. That's, you know, that's who you hey, are. Hey, man, don't jinx me. Don't jinx me. <laughs> I've been on the roll as of late. Don't jinx me, man. We love to have you on. It just oh, hit wow. me when I looked at your Twitter. It just hit me. Our yeah, Twitter, and, like, and you know what? I actually had people who called me that. I had some of my friends on Facebook and Twitter who uh, referenced me at that. It's all good. Hopefully, <laughs> I think he'll uh, he'll get himself together, and hopefully we can yeah, see definitely. what he really becomes. I think he just needs yeah. to get out of uh, Washington. It spiraled so quick. I mean, just – I mean, in no time, all this develops. Just, oh, yeah. I mean, in a blink of an eye, seemingly. That, that really crashed and burned. That crashed and burned in a hurry. It did. I think they kind of set him up to crash and burn, but that's just that's just me uh, talking. I think that's happening in Carolina, personally. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah, happening in Carolina. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, just taking, taking vital pieces that you know yes. can still contribute, you know, yeah, that makes sense. Ron, man, I appreciate you. Like you said, you, you ripped and ran home. I told you not to kill yourself. You, you ran and got to where you could jump on that little show tonight. And we appreciate all the knowledge. Like, check him out. Hey, man, I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Uh, hopefully we can do it again before the end of the season. And uh, hopefully by that time the Sixers will have a win. They just, they just tipped off with Minnesota. All right. Sounds good, Ron. Man, we'd love to do it again, sir. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Right. No, I don't speak to you guys. You guys have a great holiday. You do the same. Thank you, sir. All right. 
Ron Glover, editor-in-chief of the Starting5.net, uh, putting all kind of great content up there. The man can flat right. Knows his silly, knows his sports, as you just heard. Man, it was it was great having him and Tim Rizzo both on with us tonight, TV. Yeah, we had we had some we had some great guests tonight. So we had some really good stuff. No doubt, man. And now, of course, we look ahead tonight to Duke and Wisconsin. We look ahead to Kentucky and Texas. Get to see some good teams going at it. Uh, get to see a little separation, possibly. See who's legit and who's not. It's still early, but we'll be able to get a little better gauge on things. Uh, had another great show. Appreciate you being here, bringing the knowledge to me. Everybody loves Not a problem, stuff on no. Wildcat Blue Nation. Everybody loves right. all the pieces you write. And uh, appreciate Michelle calling in, talking UK football, talking Neil Brown, uh, looking at potential replacements that Mark Stoops may have. Uh, of course, we're looking forward to basketball mm-hmm. in full swing now. Looking forward to seeing the Cowboys and Niners lick their wounds. Who does San Francisco does San Francisco have that's coming in their next game? Oakland. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully they can get help. they can get on track. Yes, for sure. That should definitely help. I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time. We did a little bit with Ron, but Thursday was just as bad for you as it was for me. Our team both at home playing division games were beaten by a combined score of 52 to 13. Something like that. I mean, it wasn't even close. Both of them just got beat down. So, uh, I know you were sitting there waiting on your guys to come on. My Cowboys were getting smacked around. And then the same thing happened in Levi Stadium. So, we both just, you know, had to tuck our tails between our legs and hope for a better outcome another day. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, they can keep moving forward. They've got another showdown uh, at Seattle here in a couple of couple of weeks. Uh, but that was, I don't know, the offense that I was looking for in the uh, in the offseason just hasn't materialized. I'm not quite sure what's, what's going on, what it's going to take to fix. But, you know, they still have some time to get right, but they got to get on it. And fortunately for you guys and – you know, Seattle, uh, Carson Palmer is out, and the Cardinals are starting to slide. It was, you know, we thought it might be hard for them to keep things going uh, with Carson going down. I, I was surprised that they beat the Lions, but after getting that win to go to 9-1, uh, and they've dropped their last two. So they're coming back to the pack, and now it's just a matter of who takes advantage, San Francisco or Seattle. Right, and uh, Seattle's got the momentum uh, right now, but, uh, you know, I'm still hoping my Niners can turn it around. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, That's our show for the night, folks. Uh, Appreciate y'all listening to Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blocktalkradio.com. Appreciate Michelle Brown calling in, SM Rizzo and Ron Glover. Appreciate you. TV Terry Kentucky Hot Brown. I think that might be your best Twitter name yet. Yeah, the original Hot Brown right there, man. Yes, sir, man. <laughs> Appreciate it. 
and hope you and the fam have a great evening, my man. You do the same. Talk to you next week, Vinny. Hey, y'all take care. Good night, big big, big nation. <laughs>